Welcome to the Taking the Leap podcast, where you can learn how to launch your full-time career in this part-time gig economy. No matter what career you're in, you have the potential to be the best version of you and overcome whatever obstacles stand in your way. And now, here's your host, the CEO of Bonvera, Bob Dickey. Welcome back to Taking the Leap podcast. I'm your host, Bob Dickey, and this afternoon in Knoxville, Tennessee, I'm really excited to have two of my really good friends, Bill and Jan Newton, all the way from Wichita, Kansas, joining us here in the studio. And so now that we've got the social distancing rules laxing ever so slightly, we're able to actually conduct a a real interview here within the, the walls of our office in Knoxville, Tennessee. But let me just share with our listeners a little background of the very distinguished Bill and Jan Newton. They have been married for 44 years, and uh, Bill was very adamant to make sure that uh, I I let everybody know that was the same wife. Married 44 years, same wife. That's quite the accomplishment, Bill. And I would say it's actually quite the accomplishment for your wife, not for you. Much more. Yes, yes. Uh, You guys have been blessed with two children, nine incredible grandchildren, of which I absolutely love both of your children and their families, and your grandkids are the absolute best. I love spending time with them there when I travel to Wichita, Kansas. You guys have had quite the entrepreneurial career. You've been owners of a major farm equipment dealership for many, many years. You were in the top 10 in combine sales in all of the United States, sometimes ranking even number one there in Kansas. You've been, well, that business actually was started by Jan, your father, back when you were in sixth grade, and then you kind of continued to grow it and expand. You guys have been involved in farm equipment sales, both in retail, but also have been involved in manufacturing farm equipment, which are two very different businesses. You've also manufactured oil pump equipment, so you've been in the oil business. You've also been in a home-based business industry for over 33 years and had incredible success in that as well, building one of your businesses to be worth over $20 million, which is quite an accomplishment for a home-based business. Bill, you are a graduate from Texas A&M, and you are an all-American javelin thrower, so that's something that you and I have in common. You're now, Texas A&M is, was blessed to be admitted into the SEC, and so now you're a competitor with the University of Tennessee. And since I'm a track athlete, you and I have some good-natured ribbing over that. But Bill, Jan, I just want to say I love you guys, and it's great having you in the, the studio this afternoon, and thanks for being here. It's great uh, to be here also, Bob, and, and you could outrun me anytime on the track field, I can tell you that. Well, you'll be able to outspear me on the track field. <laughs> yes. Well, I used to be able to. <laughs> That's been a few years ago. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us. I know you guys drove in for a big event that we're putting on this weekend, an education training event virtually for our entrepreneurs all over the country. I'm just really looking forward to taking some time to pick your brain and learn from you guys because you've had quite the entrepreneurial journey yourself. The title of the podcast is The Leap. You guys have made many leaps within your career. You've started businesses, tried new things. And I just want to ask you a few questions on that entire journey. Maybe starting at the very top, Jan, you were involved in business, your father's business way back in the day. Was it a big leap for you to get involved in all these types of businesses or was it just part of your DNA? You know, my parents were uh, entrepreneurs from day one. And I remember when my dad uh, started and he bought half the farm equipment business and uh, his family threw a fit. 
because they had none of them had had their own business. And so they just really, except for one uncle of his who encouraged him. And of course, my mom was the kind of person that whatever my dad said, she was right beside him, you know, and that was a great example for me to follow that. And so with that, I started working in the farm equipment business as soon as my mom was a school teacher. So as soon as we got done with school, then she and my sister and I drove to the farm equipment business and we all had chores to do there. And uh, so it was a family business. And uh, I think that's one reason I was so excited about this business and the home-based business is the fact that we can work together as a team and all of our assets are utilized. And I think that's so important because my sister worked in parts, my brother worked in sales, and I worked in the office. And uh, we didn't have to have the same talents, but we all were important in that team. Mm -hmm. So team building and team working together as a family was something I always wanted to do when I had my family later on. So it was a blessing. So with that, then Bill came on board uh, when my dad was uh, very ill, and uh, he came and worked on the wheat on the summers, and then ended up working and taking over the the business and managing it at a really a fairly young age because of what was going on. I think we were just incredibly blessed by learning to deal with each other and respectfully agreeing or disagreeing. Well, so Bill, did you become an entrepreneur because you were courting Jan, or did you already have a little bit of that in your DNA? Well, I had it in my DNA. My grandpa was a farmer, had some uncles that were farmers. My dad died when I was five. And then seven years later, my mom remarried a man. So my mom and dad had five kids. And my stepdad, who my mom remarried, his wife had been electrocuted mm. and left five kids. And so they merged those two families, and then they had another one a year later. So there was 11 children in this family. I was 12 years old at the time, and we all started a hay business. Wow. So This is like the Brady Bunch before oh, the Brady Bunch. Oh, it was a working version of the Brady Bunch. And when I think Brady Bunch, I think they're a bunch of crybaby bedwetter sissies, man, <laughs> compared to going and hauling hay. Yeah. Holy cow. So, yeah, we, uh, my stepdad and my brothers and I, we all went and bought balers, swathers, hay trucks, a grinder, a semi-truck with a couple of trailers on it to take the hay, the ground hay, to feedlots. And so, yeah, we really ground it out. That's kind of a pun, actually. But, yeah. What's interesting that it seems like both of you got your entrepreneurial start and family-based business doing something that you were very much familiar with, right? And then, of course, as you guys get together and you're starting to build businesses together, you're branching out. It's something that's very common. But then over the course of your career, you start to make pivots or you know little leaps into other things. What was going on there? Because I mean, now you take a look 44 years later and you've been involved in a whole host of a wide variety of businesses. How did those leaps to other industries and other things happen? What was? How did your, your thinking change or what led to that? Most of the businesses that Jan and I have owned outright or in partnership with have been because of relationships with other people who knew something about those industries or teed up an industry to us that made some sense. And um, we, we were partners in a uh, travel agency. Wow. And so um, uh, Jan had a real estate broker's license. So in a, in a way, that you're kind of a business owner in real estate. I would say it's the, the, the reason I got into the farm equipment business, two things. One is as I hated baling hay, mm -hmm. 
And so I was looking for a way out there. Okay. No, be honest. You just wanted to spend time with me. <laughs> That's where I was going. That's exactly where I was going. I was like, don't call. I was, I was, I was going to call you on that. I was like, come on now. Yeah, yeah. So I saw. I can be out in the fields baling hay, or I could be in an air-conditioned totally. you know, showroom with this cute little girl over here. I'll, yeah. Exactly. Except they never put me in the showroom. They, they put me in the shop. I was fixing up equipment back in those days. I would work part-time, and this is while we were dating. And so the farm equipment business really looked intriguing to me and I I wanted to be in partnership with her family simply because it was it looked really good. They were doing very well in there, and I got to marry uh, Jan. I also thought when I was marrying her that she her folks had money. I didn't realize they financed a lot. <laughs> Uh, And so through those journeys, are there things, the principles that you learned that you were able to leverage along? Was this like Lego blocks for you? Like you learn a certain set of skill sets and then you're able to build on that. And then the next business got maybe more complex or maybe a little bit differently. Help me understand how you guys thought about that. I mean, because it seems very interesting. I I would have never guessed that you go from baling hay to farm equipment, then all of a sudden, hey, let's have a travel agency. That seems like a wild leap, uh, not very like tangential. Right. And you said it was like relationships. Someone said, so was it opportunity based? Like, oh man, there's a huge opportunity over here I want to seize? So through our main business that we had, which was a networking company, we were involved in a lot of events, a lot of, oh, travel. Mm-hmm. And so we were looking at how, I mean, if, if we could take a travel agency and bring it along, our whole cost of operation would go down. Mm-hmm. And, and along that same line, we, uh, myself and, and two other men owned, the name of the company was called Stage Pro. So it was a stage company with all the staging, lighting, the board, the mixer board. Big, big oh, yeah, events. yes, 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 yeah. yes. So just like when you're putting on like a concert and all that, you had all the equipment to go in there and put on those big events. Correct. Yeah, we were paying $25,000, $30,000 per event to have it done for us. And we thought, well, shoot, if we can just buy a business that's already out there, we'll get a return on that one. And so we owned that one for about five years and that's kind of the creep or the leap if you will yeah so we got into a lot of different miscellaneous businesses as a result of people we knew and the business we were in Jan, was it scary for you when you were making those leaps as a married couple and kind of broadening your entrepreneurial reach? Or was it like, oh, this is exciting. I love kind of chasing after new opportunities. What's going through your mind? You know, we loved chasing and going from opportunity to opportunity. One thing we did do was we would look at what we've learned. It's like, what what was there about that business that we didn't care for, that we could change? Or why would we not do that again? Or if we had it to do over again, what would we do? And we did, started developing, uh, you know, What's their work ethic, the people that we're involved in? You know, what's their morals? What are, what's their character? You know, and, and so because we, we've been involved in some businesses with some people that I would like to kind of forget because mm-hmm. the lessons were kind of tough, but they were probably also some of the most powerful lessons we ever learned. And so, therefore, it's not about them. It's about what did I learn? Mm-hmm. And did I go forward and learn a lesson from that or did I just stay down? 
And I think that's one of the best things is, okay, when we start our next business, what are the things we don't want? What are the things we do want? And I think that's very, very important. And I think that's why when we were brought to uh, being, you know, one of the people looking at Bonvera, how exciting we were uh, to we were to, to make sure that we could make an impact on people's lives so that they could learn through our mistakes. Mm-hmm. We want our kids to learn from their mistakes also, but we also wanted them to learn from our mistakes, which was plenty to tag on to that one bob the uh, mistakes aren't necessarily bad as right. a matter of fact as a parent you want your kids to make certain mistakes mm-hmm. so they learn lessons and at some ages you you want to protect them from all the mistakes because they're not aware right real little they're in diapers they're yeah. walking around the house she's like hey don't touch the hot stove exactly right? And, and then sometimes after after they get older, you want them to feel a little bit of pain mm-hmm. because of the choices. And then I don't think you just necessarily want them to feel the pain and then walk away. I think you want to dialogue with them mm-hmm. so it sinks in. It's kind of like going to the University of Tennessee <laughs> and some of your classes. Um, you have the same. But that wasn't a mistake for me. Okay, is that what you? If, if you're if you're alluding that that was a mistake, no, I'm gonna no, have to argue no, with you. That's now. okay. Okay. No, but some of the same material, the same teacher taught different students, yep. and some took it, learned from it, applied it, applied it in different ways, Mm -hmm. and had different levels of experiences and success. So I guess I'm not all that enthralled with information as well as I am application and information. That's a brilliant insight. And so, Jan, you actually teed up in your last comment, you teed up something I want to have both of you guys address through your entrepreneurial journey. And you said the, you know, the mistakes that you learned along the way. It was one of the reasons why I think uh, you guys have been so passionate about Bonvera. I mean, both of you are co-founders of Bonvera, helped start this company at the very beginning as leaders, investors. And Bill, you serve on the board. I can't have a phone call or a board meeting with you without you in the midst of, you know, multiple times of that conversation talking about, Bob, this is how we want to build a legacy company. This is what a legacy company means to me. This is why we're doing this as a legacy company. Can you both kind of just describe in your 44-year marriage, in your 33 years in this business, you know, Jan, you teed it up about we've learned these things. What are these things that you guys have learned that you're bringing to invest in Bonvera and why building a legacy business is so important for you? I think it's very important that it's okay to be down, but not to stay down. Mm-hmm. And uh, through all of our amount of different losses that we've had, you know, and some of them we could see back and we, we wish we could have done some things different. But rather than holding ourselves down, we just learn from it and go forward. Mm-hmm. Over communicate. I think that's one of the best things we've done in our marriage is that we had to start and really over communicate because when you've got a stressful time in your marriage or where you've lost a lot of things or there's different things going on in your business, you take it home with you also, you have to be real careful so that we learn to over communicate and say, you know, I'm having a tough time right now. So if I'm irritable, I apologize. It's not at you. I'm just really frustrated here. And then, well, what could we do different? Well, where can we go from here? You know, and looking for wisdom. And it's amazing how much wisdom there is out there. You know, for Bill and I, we go, you know, to mentors that are spiritual mentors or in the Bible, you know, that will really guide us and direct us and give us the comfort and peace that that only comes from that in our estimation. 
So I think it's the fact that you look at what you what you did wrong, and you don't blame others. Whatever happened is like, wow, I should have never allowed that to happen. I should have stopped that. I should have not been in partnership with a person with that. I, you know, those things, and therefore it puts it on you. But you don't hold yourself down. It's like, okay, I'm going to learn from this. So bite me once, shame on you. Bite me twice, shame on me. Mm-hmm. You know, so let's go forward with that. Let's have the work ethics that I, you know, okay, we're down. Let's go. Okay, let's go together. And Bill and I've done a lot of things together. We love doing things together. We love the journey. We love making other people, you know, a difference in their lives and not and holding back from them having to go through some of the things that we've gone through because some things are okay to learn and other things are a little bit more painful that you just assume that you could help other people not go through. Yeah. But in the same token, you know, when we've been totally broke, I then when you're sitting across the table from someone who's totally broke, man, you can relate with them and they can relate with you. And if you hadn't gone through some of those tough times, you wouldn't be able to relate with as many people. And so um, I think that we've utilized that to where we can have a better understanding with people when you sit across the table from them. And that's one of the best things I think that I've taken back from some of the tough times in our lives. Bill, what would you add? That was brilliant, Jan. That's why I married her. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, whenever I have um, a question about something, my answer is generally, hey, Jan. Yeah. (laughs) That was before, hey, Alexa, right? That's exactly (laughs) right. Yeah, well, I'll even have her do hey, Alexa for me. Okay. That's what our grandkids do. Yeah. Yeah, in 1999, I can remember when the internet was really going, um, I can remember swearing off that I'm never going to do an email. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, that's funny. It is funny. It is funny. (laughs) Yes. So there's no success anywhere, anytime without setbacks and problems. Mm -hmm. They just all come together. There's no crops without both the sunshine and the rain. Mm -hmm. And so when people have problems, a lot of times they just focus on the problem Mm -hmm. and not really take a good uh, inventory of of the whole thing. So one of the advantages of being as old as we are, our lens that we look through is a lot broader Mm -hmm. than the narrow lens that most people look at right now. They're looking at a situation, they're trying to evaluate the situation with what they see, and in most cases, they're not teeing up the right questions to someone with wisdom Mm -hmm. so they can get a broader perspective. So they're going to hit a bunch of stuff because they weren't smart enough or wise enough to engage someone who's been down that road. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's that's really a a big issue. That wider aperture, to use a photography term, the wider aperture, because of all of your life experiences, allow you to see, for a young person to come around and have somebody with sage wisdom and advice like you, it's almost like a superpower because you have the ability to somewhat see over the horizon or around corners that a young person just can't because they don't have enough life experiences to see that. And so that's one of the things that I am so appreciative of you being on the board because you offer that sage wisdom and counsel to, you know, we've got a very talented board, but we've got some young guys on the board. You bring a lifetime of wisdom, right? Well, I do, actually, yes. I'm thinking of doing a talk about that one of these days, yes. As I look at the successes that we've had or the avenues that we've gone, most all of them have 
come as a result of some real, real challenging or some pain. Mm -hmm. Pain is a great motivator if you use it properly. Did you learn it as an athlete? Well. Or as an entrepreneur? Both. I can remember. Now, this occurred to me at age about 30. 34, 35. So this would be, you know, 14 years, 12 years after I graduated from Texas A&M. And that is, I went to Texas A&M because I really liked the school, the people, our coaches were the best runners in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them was the fastest white guy in a 220-yard dash. And really? What was his name? Charlie Thomas. Charlie Thomas. Yeah. All right. uh, Ted Nelson set the national high school record in the open quarter. Wow. Yeah, you guys had some phenomenal athletes. Had phenomenal. They had national record relay teams. Randy Matson was there as a... Uh, he was with the former Students Association. He had graduated in 1968. He was an Olympic and a world champion. Wow. Throwing the shot put. And uh, when he was a senior at Pampa High School, he I think he got second in the Olympics. Good grief. So, I mean, we're talking a monster of a man and an athlete. Phenomenal. And so I'm showing up in 1972, and he puts his arm around me, and he says, Bill, if you'll come to Texas a and I'll work out with you personally. You're like sold. Yeah, sold. It's like I'm melting. I'm a little country boy who can't run too fast out of Haven, Kansas. And it was 12 years later, I went to a school that did not have a world-class javelin coach. So the school had all kinds of principles about success. Everything was right. I'm not blaming Texas A&M. Don't, don't, don't even mistaken that at all. I needed someone to teach me how to throw. Mm-hmm. I learned something much better than throwing by going there, and that was success principles. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a, yeah. kind of an interesting thing? Yeah. I turned down going to Europe to a coaching, a summer coaching thing for the Javelin because I wanted to be around Jan. Mm -hmm. As I pull back from that, I'm looking, you know what? I guess I didn't want to go to the Olympics nearly as bad as I thought I did. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, my senior year, I was... Uh, Scheduled to win the Southwest Conference. I'd won it earlier, and I had seven throws. Was that the B League uh, that you guys used to be in before you came to SEC? Uh, yes, exactly. I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing with you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have wanted Randy Matson in the Southeast Conference. <laughs> yeah, you wanted to. You would have wanted to maintain some of your uh, anyway. For, for those of that are listening, uh, I'm obviously Bill and I are obviously big SEC fans, and we have some good nature yes, driving on this. Yes, and we banter quite yeah, a bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm wearing a Texas. A&M shirt on this podcast just to harass. I know. You come to Knoxville, Tennessee yeah, and wear your Texas A&M stuff. I'm like, come on. Yes, exactly. So I have seven throws mm -hmm. at the Southwest Conference Championship Meet. I'm scheduled to win it all. I've been offered a job by Baylor University to be an assistant a track coach already. Wow. And uh, I'm in fourth place. Going into my last throw, and you are, and you're picked to win this. I'm picked to win it. Yeah, okay. I've thrown further than any of the other competitors there, and it's just like, what is going on? And so, I can remember this just like it was yesterday. 
I walked off of the field after my sixth throw, thinking this is stupid. What? And, and I'm feeling a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. I'd never walk off the field. Mm -hmm. And I walked over to the stands. Jan was in the front row in the stands, and I I said, Jan, are you seeing anything? What am I doing? Mm -hmm. And we just so it was a reframe. Mm -hmm. We had a prayer, and it's not like God made me win it. Mm -hmm. But I went back out with a whole different framework mm -hmm. of mine, and I beat those guys like crying stepchildren. So I got first. Wow. So On your last throw. On my last throw, and you almost never have your best throw on your last throw. Because no. you've already got six in, you know, huge heaves right before it. Right. Right, because you're all out. It's yeah. not like a runner where you kind of pace yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, my gosh. It's getting deep now. Yes, it is. So let me ask you a question. Do you feel that when you were able to step off the field for that split second, you were over and you talked to Jan, you guys had a moment of time there to talk and you had any prayer. I've been told that so much of throwing, discus, javelin, is so much technique. It's not so much strength, but there's a lot and lot of technique. Were you wrapped around the axle mentally where something like the, your technique was off and that allowed you to just like have peace and you were kind of just like, you got into a different zone to where all of a sudden the natural things that you had training all came together to allow you to have your best throw? Do think that may have had part of it? I think that has a lot to do with it, but that same principle is applied everywhere. As I was about to ask you, it's like, yeah. so how do we get, in, as entrepreneurs, you've got to see times where maybe exactly. someone's not performing because there's so much in there, they're caught up in their head, they're wrapped around the axle, and yes. just the reframe to take a moment of pause, a moment of peace, clear the mechanism, to use that old term, and then be able to go back out and compete. Do you, have you seen that in your career? I, I see it all the time. Uh, when someone doesn't buy what they're doing at lock, stock, and barrel as their deal. Mm -hmm. They take ownership, regardless of what they've said, but if they haven't taken ownership, they start making excuses and complaints. Mm -hmm. Complaints about this or that, or my coach, or my boss, or my this, blah. And you find out real quick whether someone is all in mm -hmm. or not. Right. How many times have you seen that, Bob? Oh my gosh, yes. It's incredible. You can tell it. I, I, we'll have conversations. I've had conversations with the staff. Are like, there's a d different mentality between an employee, the nine to five employee, and someone who takes ownership and pride. It, like, it's a different level of commitment and drive when someone says, "I'm going to take ownership of this. I own it." Right, and you can see it whether it's in, like in business. You can see it with employees, and no matter what you do, there, there's employees that take total ownership. Yeah, for well, sure. Just just like an owner does. Yes, they're. Way fewer, but they're they're there, mm -hmm. and well, that's the type of culture we're trying to create at Bonvero. It's like exactly. hey, this isn't a nine to five. This is like everybody's got to be all in, right? So no, that that is that is so true, and it it really gets down to my word. Mm -hmm. um, you can make all kinds of excuses why, but at the end of the day, is my word actually good or not? Mm -hmm. I'm looking at. Um, can I can I go a little different direction? Yeah, for sure. I got a thought that might. Well, I, I want connect. you. To, I want you to go any direction that you want, but I also want you to circle back around because I don't know if we we may have missed the point where you were talking about pain. You said that you learned something about pain that triggered something in you in your entrepreneurial career, and I want to understand what you were thinking about there. Good, because that's exactly where I was going. Okay, perfect. with with this. In 1980, 
we were killing it. We were one of the largest Steiger tractor dealers in America. Mm -hmm. We were, in 1981, we were the largest Gleaner combine dealer. Mm -hmm. And so we had, we'd taken in a lot of used equipment on trade. Mm -hmm. So they're out on our lots. What Alice Chalmers told us, Gleaner Combines mm -hmm. told us in November of 1981, in March of 1982, they changed the deal. March 1st of 1982. When they changed the deal, Jan and I and my her brother, my brother-in-law, immediately lost $5 million worth of equity in our business. Overnight. Overnight. Because one person changed the deal. Because Alice Chalmers changed the deal. And so that was very, very painful. So had I known that they would have changed the deal, I wouldn't have sold all those combines and taken all that stuff in on trade. Make sense? Yeah. So I don't know how I would have known anything any different except what I know today. Mm -hmm. I would go back and I would take a look at those contracts that the dealers had mm -hmm. with Alice Chalmers, with Steiger, Heston, Miller Disc, Wilrich. I would have looked at those contracts and I would have probably made some different choices. Mm -hmm. But now, this pain. This pain is causing me to work harder, longer hours. So we went down the road four and a half years after they they changed the deal on dealers. Sixty percent of the dealers went out of business. All went went bankrupt. All because of that. All because of that. And in 1980, the, the farm equipment business had been going really good through the 70s. And Jimmy Carter gets elected in 76. 1980, he puts an embargo on grain, which absolutely killed farmers, farm equipment dealers, anybody in the ag business, manufacturers. 1981... Ronald Reagan rescinded that grain embargo, but it was way too late. Damage had already been done. Yeah. Business had gone out of business. The whole so, yeah. crisis with the federal savings and loan thing. Yeah. We saw... Was that the trigger point with the, the savings and loan because of the embargo and, and businesses going out of business? It was. It was. I would, I would attribute it to a lot of reasons that the embargo was the icing on the cake. Okay. Right? So the dealers... Uh, Jimmy Carter never called up the farmers and said, hey, is you, what, are you guys okay with if we use your crops, your commodities, to strong arm other governments? Never did that. It was just done to them. Mm -hmm. And then they suffered that. So, so you have to be an older guy to have that lens, don't you? To understand how a decision has a ripple effect all the way exactly. down the chain and it impacts everyone along the line. So I'm sure Carter's probably thinking, "Hey, I'm making a decision for the best interest of our country." You know, we're, I'm, you know, he, I'm sure he had all the best intent, but he didn't. Um, maybe he did, but the ripple effect all the way down to the farmers. And so you've got this lens now. And so I know that that's one of the things that you do with Bonvera is looking through the lens of every single decision that we make. How does it impact not only us today? Our our customers today, our entrepreneurs today, but five years from now, ten years from now. That's right? correct. That is so correct. So when when you get your butt handed to you, like the farmers and farm equipment dealers and everybody in that industry, you, you look back and say, what can I do different? And then 
So Jan and I, we kind of go down the road. We start in other businesses. Uh, we started a truck stop. So we wanted to get out of the farm equipment business because it was out of control. Mm. There was no profit to be made. Uh, after four and a half years, we'd reduced the the loss from five million down to three and a half million. And I looked at the price that we were paying as a family for something that the government had done to us. Mm-hmm. And Alice Chalmers had done to us. And I'm thinking, no, no, it's done. I'm done. Mm-hmm. So so just to have that lesson is is a good starting point for looking at things going forward. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at we we looked at the fuel margins. And they were between fifteen and twenty-two cents a gallon. And so we converted our farm equipment dealership into a full-blown truck stop. Truck service center, tire center. We we spent back three hundred and some thousand dollars back in nineteen eighty six. Mm. That was a lot of money for a broke farm equipment dealer. Yeah. What we didn't know, see, this is this is the part of the problem. What we didn't know, we were we were living right next to in business a truck stop that had been out of business in bankruptcy for two years, mm. shut down. So it was a great opportunity at the corner of, and so what What we did not know was the president of the bank that was holding the note on the truck stop was a brother to a guy that owned a trucking company that was hauling fuel. He prostituted his shareholders at the bank, gave the first position over to the truck, his brother that owned the trucking company. Mm-hmm. 30 days before we opened up our business, mm-hmm. fuel margins went to zero to minus two cents a gallon. Oh, my goodness. And so now we're having to operate our truck stop at a loss. So what we saw was right for that moment, right? Right. But what we didn't know on the backside were the games that could be played that could affect our business. And so anytime Jan and I we take a look at an idea, we're now looking and we're asking more and better questions mm-hmm. about the details. So when you take a look at like the ICAA, Independent Community Advisory Association, you get a perspective of why that was created. Mm-hmm. It was to cover for some challenges. And, and Bonvera was put together right along with the ICA as kind of a partnership. Mm-hmm. And that's why this is such an, a phenomenal idea when, when you start looking at business. Every one of these insurance agency owners mm-hmm. think, might not say everyone, almost every one of them, think they own their own business. The fact of the matter is they, they are far from owning their own business. And, and you can almost go down the line on different franchisees. Mm-hmm. And they, sure, you can make money. But when you really want to know what you own and what you don't, one more quick story. And I'm, I'm going to well, And the question is, when you're going down those contracts, you're like, 
you you're probably because you've seen the the deal changed totally on seen you it. so many times you're like yep. hey same song different verse been here done that i see it i see it and so that's why yes. your watchful eye on the board with the icaa saying we want to create a platform where entrepreneurs can have an opportunity where they can thrive and where these little clauses in contracts don't come back to haunt people and be like hey guess what deal just got changed we get 30 percent margins went down to minus two you know hey you, you think you have five million dollars of equity on your your lots? Uh, guess what? No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you're exactly right. That's why the Bonvera business is the best business in the world, based upon everything that I've seen. And if someone would would analyze it through our lens, mm -hmm. uh, they would get it. So it just depends on how open they are. Now, here's one one place I want yeah. to go back. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I'm having fun. I'm taking mental notes here. No, this is this is really yeah, pr professor. You got well, your no, professor is, hat on. This is very impactful to Jan and I. Okay, coming from agriculture, we love farmers. We love the whole industry. Of course, there's challenges, but you can just see Grandpa working on the farm, Grandma and Grandpa working on the farm, and they have their kids and then their grandkids coming, and they're telling them, "You're going to own this someday." So the family is all in. They work for literally nothing so that the farm can survive. Mm -hmm. And everybody has great intentions to go ahead and work and develop. And the kids then, they go into town and they get jobs so they can survive long enough. And so they're, they're working full time. They're working their jobs and then they're working on the farm to create it. And what Jan and I saw just broke our hearts. When, when Grandpa died, he didn't realize the tax structures had changed, and they ended up having to sell the farms. So everything they told their kids about what, why they were going to inherit, what they were going to inherit, was changed unbeknownst to them. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the saddest things Jan and I, I think, have ever seen. It just rip, ripped apart family dreams, right? For sure. Even thinking of it today, well, you're, me you're getting yeah. I was I, I'm looking across the table at yeah. yeah. You got glasses on, but I can see the tears yeah. welling in your eyes. It, it's true. Did, did this out of curiosity? Did this happened to your family or just the families of friends that you know? Maybe no, you're getting just, really emotional. On this. I mean, when you have a big farm equipment dealership, you know all every farmer in five counties. Mm -hmm. So that's a heart. That's, that's the we've been. It's the breadbasket of yeah. America, but it's also the heartbeat of America right. through those farmlands, good folk, good families, yes. and just the, literally the deal gets changed. It's changed, yes. That, yeah, it's devastating. So you've seen that up close. Mm -hmm. What happens when a family goes through that? You want to speak to that, Jan? Well, we did see that a lot, and it was really sad. I know that when when people, you know, in in the farming community, it'd be like some. I remember one one person having cancer, and all of a sudden, you know, we'd have like thirty combines that would go and take care of that person, and you know, harvest mm -hmm. their. And it was, and then we'd have a group of ladies, and they'd be feeding everybody, you know. And there was a community of what needs to happen and take care of each other. Absolutely, and it was fun, you know. So much like I think that's one of the things we missed about getting out of the farmer equipment business that in our. Community, 
community here at Bon Vera, we do that. We, we rally around each other, our needs, and, and all of a sudden, when someone has an impact of a child that's not well or a, a house that's been on fire or whatever, man, we rally together and we want to make it, make sure that we can make an impact on them. And yeah, we watched farmers that, you know, when you dealt with them day and night for a lot, and you know, harvest time, you deal with um, farmers in the toughest time, the most stressful time of their lives. And, uh, you know, I remember my dad used to say, we could say, can we take off? And he said, it's harvest. You know, it's harvest. Well, for for Bill and I right now, that's what we're saying about our community now. We don't have time to take off because it's harvest here. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the time we were open 24 hours a day for those people. And, you know, they would come in and they would need something. But we would watch these people work day and night. And then all of a sudden, when their parents would pass away and they'd be ready to take over that farm, all of a sudden, the tax implication took them down. Mm-hmm. And we watched so many people come in and will well, have lost uh, lost everything. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's like, man, we, we just need to be educated. We want to make sure and be open to this. And and so for for us, you know, you developed a great relationship with those people. And it was more like a big family. Yeah. And I think that's one reason why it's brought us here where we really enjoy uh, the community and where we're, you know, the people we're around. That's very well said. I, I've never heard somebody say, "Hey, it's harvest." It's harvest. in the military. It's like, "Hey, the war's on. The battle's on." It's like in, in the military. It's like when when the bullets are flying and the country calls you up and needs you. It's like that's not time to take a vacation. It's not a time to get like we we used to say in the military. You know, you want to be surrounded with people who don't get weak in the knees when the lifting gets heavy, and so and when you've gone to battle with people and they've had your back, you become blood brothers, right? And so you've had that exact same thing in the farming community. Where it's like, "Hey, people." People rallied around you, helped you. It's a it's family environment. Um, I said that one of the things that I appreciate about you and your family and, and and the team that you have there in Kansas is I mean talk about people who who know how to lean in, people who don't get weak in the knees when the lifting gets heavy. I mean, you've got you guys have developed an incredible world class team. I, I, I tell you the times that I've shown up uh, in Wichita and we will be at an event or uh, we'll have folks from from the team there and you'll walk through the room. And be like, hey, so and so has been with me for you know the last twenty eight years. You know, this person's been with me for twenty five years. And I'm like, and it's like, good grief! Some of these people are older than staff that we have on on right. They're they're That's older so than true. employees. Like we've had, they've been with you on your team for you know for almost you know two generations. So. I think regardless what you do, you develop a sense of family. Um, and in what we do, we have an ability to change lives mm-hmm. in really, really great ways, in ways they would like their life to be changed. Talk about that. Well, um, it, it's kind of like throwing the javelin when I'm a freshman. I, I threw it a hundred and, I don't know, 130 feet at first practice that I saw. My coach said, Bill, that's really good. And I'm thinking, shoot, you think that's good? Wait till the next throw. A mm-hmm. 130-foot throw is terrible. But... He encouraged me, mm-hmm. and I ended up throwing 164 feet that year and placing in the uh, the Mid-Kansas League track meet as a freshman. And then I threw it 180-some feet my sophomore year, and then I won the state at 200 and what was it, 203 or 4 feet my junior year, and then set the state record in my senior year. Mm. And go out to the national track meet and, and get second place in the nation. And, and all of those are starting with small steps. 
believing I can I can go a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I, there's no way I believed I could be a, a national champion, get a college scholarship for four years, or go to the Olympics. There's just no way. So everything starts with little pieces. Mm-hmm. And I think some people get lost in the big picture without taking those little steps and, and getting the right feedback. And that's something you know as an athlete. My gosh, the runners, you, you guys are looking at your clocks all the time, aren't you? No, we are. When we run the track, it's the splits. You know, you're kind of monitoring. So, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you draw a connection with that into the entrepreneurial life in your career and the, the family environment, the positive feedback. Because there are some environments where it, it's not positive where that, that encouragement's not there. It's actually quite the opposite. There, there's, it's a leadership style of intimidation. It's a leadership style, right? Um, I know one college coach who used to tell his uh, athletes, he said, hey, if you're low on self-esteem, don't come to practice today. Because it was like, they, it was a caustic environment of like, dog eat dog. Was that and, at the University of Tennessee? I, I, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> no, no, no that, was, that was not. But it's like, yeah, you know, that's, you know, there can be completely different types of cultures, and the, the, the culture that I think most people uh, are looking for and that will thrive in is the one that you just described. Your college coach gave you, like, he, he knew, he, he's a world-class coach. He knew that that throw that you had out there wasn't a great throw, but he patted you on the back and said, hey, Bill, I believe in you. That's a great throw. You're going to do better. And because of that encouragement, that positivity, you were able to develop into an all-American uh, javelin thrower. Tell me how you've seen... You know, a positivity and encouragement, I'm assuming you've had coaches and mentors in your business career, just like you've had in your athletic career. How has that impacted you? How important has that been to your in your journey? I think I've probably been more negatively motivated than positively motivated. By coaches and mentors? Yes. Wow. So you've had... In, you, you, in business. Okay, in business. Okay. Most most folks that I've been in business with that, that have been kind of... A, Oh, I, I guess you'd call him a coach, felt a little competition mm-hmm. and would have a tendency to throw some roadblocks that weren't really fair. And oh, I so, okay, okay, you're, you're kind of you're, uh, blowing my mind here a little bit. I, I thought that you would have had, you know, that's interesting. I want you to, I want no, you to I, unpack that's, it. That's so let's, true. Let's unpack it. The matter of fact, um, in, in one of our businesses, I had a, the guy that shared the, uh, the first idea with me, 1987, said that his business was uh, guided by an association and the parent company couldn't change the deal. Mm -hmm. And so I went down the road on that and about a year into it or or so, what he was telling me was different than some things that I was listening to on some audios. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of teeing him up about, well, why do you say that? He couldn't defend it, Mm. but he wanted to use some leverage on me. Well... Obviously, when you're going to use leverage on somebody because and when it doesn't make sense to them, All right. uh, I kind of bowed my back. I, I was very kind and, and polite to him. This is my perspective, anyway. And and, and I'm, I'm, maybe your kind of polite up. might be a little different than my version. It, I'm just wondering. Oh, no, no, Bobby, it is way different than your version. <laughs> so you know, success is another way of revenge. And so the, we, I probably built more out of um, looking looking at things from the dread mm-hmm. than the positive. 
a real healthy business goal or personal goal, I think should include both looking at the dark side and the positive side. I want to run away from, I don't want to, I don't want this to happen to my family. Right. And then I want this to be a part of my family. So that's really probably, wouldn't you say so, Jen, that motivated yeah, I know that um, for for you, you haven't had a lot of people that encourage you. I mean, you were basically raised without a dad, and so you didn't really have that figure in your life. So you learned to motivate yourself and kind of fine-tune yourself. And that some of the mentors or some people in your lives who did add into that were necessarily positive in that. So I think that's how you, uh, you learned to handle that. Um, you know, I, I look at, you know, how I... I, I am not negatively motivated at all. That that discourages me. So we've had to learn to, to deal with both of that because I remember, um, you know, when, when we were looking at a house, when we were totally broke and we looked at a $50,000 home and, no, a $200,000 home and you said, can't wait till we can afford that and it won't be long. And I got in the car and cried because I couldn't see it. Yes. And then you took me to a $50,000 home and I said, well, I believe that some, at some point we could we could own this house. And so we had to learn to give each other room how we were at. But, you know, I, I guess in same, some ways, though, also, like when my dad, I never really knew my dad healthy. He had a lot of health challenges. And so when he was um, passing away, I was working two full-time jobs. And I didn't get to the hospital in time when he passed away, the final time. Talk about a motivator for us to fix that. Mm. I mean, uh, and that would that would have been a negative motivator because I remember leaving and, and saying the lack of money will never control my priorities ever again. Because you weren't able to see your dad in the final hours because you were at a job and you're I didn't uh, wow. And I hated that at a meatpacking plant where they were playing games and speeding up the deal to to make her look bad mm. in the freezing environment. Yes, but it, it makes a husband feel real good about. <laughs> what you've done but in the same token i remember my dad was such a hero in my mm -hmm. heart and to bill too yeah uh, he probably was one of the best mentors in bill's life ever wow. and, and a huge dreamer even when he was incredibly ill he you just you never never saw the bad side and um, i remember leaving there and thinking wow i missed it because i was working a minimum job mm -hmm. you know for this and I hated it, but then immediately I reframed it how my dad would have wanted me to reframe it, and that is, Jan, were you doing your best? Mm -hmm. and the answer was yes. Were you doing everything you could that you knew of right then? Yes. Then, and then I remember th saying, Jan, if you feel guilty about this, your dad would scold you and say, I thought I taught you better. Mm -hmm. So that was a good, you know, lesson for me to reframe with what my dad had taught me. I mean, he had so many little things that even in his state of being so ill, it would be like uh, when I first worked at the farm equipment business, one of the first things he told me was, okay, when someone walks through our door, number one, they're our best customer, no matter who it is, and you find something about them within the first minute you can compliment them on. It taught you how to look for that, and all of a sudden, you reframed how you always saw people. And so, um, I, I think we can make such an impact on people's lives on all aspects, whether they have had a great dad, where they didn't have a dad, you know, or whatever goes on, whether they're motivated, negative, or positive. We've got a great opportunity to touch, to touch their lives, and that's true legacy is touching their lives. Yeah. Wouldn't you say that me not having a dad? motivated me to be a better father oh. and engage more with our grandkids and our kids. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the same token, I think, not getting to go to the Olympics, which was such a goal of yours, was a great motivator then to, then to change that dream and that goal because we knew that we didn't, you wouldn't have four more years to do that. So we changed it to becoming the best something here, the best here. You know, and so we reframed you know, a loss in, okay, we, we learned from that. And, and you, I don't even really like to say it was a loss. Mm -hmm. you know, it was just how it kind of reframing to something different. And I, I think it's important that, that uh, you take those losses or those changes and you go forward with them. You know, when, when he was talking about the javelin and throwing it, the, you know, I always got to be on the, the field with him mm -hmm. until that meet because I got to keep score and, you know, do that kind of stuff for the team. And so uh, being in the stands, he never, it was so odd, but you saw his challenge there. You know, I, I always think God took it to, um, for his best because in uh, it was the first event of the meet and it was this big deal because they all expected Bill to go to the Olympics. So in the papers it you know it said you know it told that and then at the end of it in the big letters it said he prayed or they prayed. And we saw where I knew why he had had he had struggles with the first throws was so that it could be for God's glory. Mm -hmm. So I see when we go back through tough times in our lives, then you look back at it, and boy, a lot of times during the struggle, you don't know why that was going on. Mm -hmm. But so many times you look back and you say, thank you, God, for that struggle. I'm a better person. I'm more grounded. I'm more humble. I'm more relatable. I'm more um, anxious about helping more people than ever before. You learn so much through those challenges, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, it, while we were losing all of this, too, um, I guess uh, my, the kids were both in high school, and Bill and I got the news that um, I might not live. And so we added that kind of a stress. And I think when you go through, you had to have been watching like, like you're like, am I Job? I mean, it's like how many exactly. how many challenges can I go through? Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it's just like, no, you know, this can't be. There's got to be something different than that. But we very quickly learned that it was different. And but you learn when you're going through those. I'd watched my dad struggle so much with his health, but with such a great attitude. And I made sure that I wanted to make sure that our kids, when they saw us down, they didn't see us out. Mm -hmm. And they saw us, okay, what are we going to do to get this out together? You know, we talk about, you know, we used to call it Operation Family Freedom. It's just like, okay, we are going to have some great times here. And But is it always going to be good? No, we've shed a lot of tears as our family, you know, through other people or through ourselves and what we've gone through. But it's, it's been incredible blessings. Where we stand and sit today, maybe not the Barnuminium. Can't wait to be in our new house. <laughs> but I'm excited about where we're at. Bill, real quick, I've got a, I've got a question I'm going to ask both of you guys at the very end. But I, I, um, it just seems like every, every single statement you guys make is just an absolute nugget. It's a, it's a gem of knowledge and wisdom that we could literally just pull that piece out and say, hey, let's have a talk on this. Let's study this. Um, so, Jan, that, that last uh, piece that you shared with us about the power of reframing, how I mean, I could see how someone going through that in their life, I mean, it, it, that could haunt them the rest of their life. Like, hey, I wasn't there for my dad, but you were smart enough and well-coached enough by your dad 
that you knew what he would be telling you and you reframed that to take a negative and actually make it a positive because I would be cherishing that and going through my life saying, you know what, my dad's proud of me. My dad is proud of me because I was doing exactly what he taught me to do. And so you, you flip something that could be so damaging into something that is so positive and that's like that's life affirming and life giving. Um, the, the power of reframing is so absolutely incredible because I see people who hold on to, I'll, I'll call it a false narrative. They've created a false narrative in their life and it becomes a limiting belief and they hold on to that, that, that that's their truth. And I'm like, that does not have to be your truth. That doesn't have to be your story. You can completely change it. So thank you for sharing. I don't know if you want if you want to add any more to it, but I just want to say thank you for sharing. Well, I just think that we all have seasons in our lives, and we all have really tough times. And I don't like people being labeled, mm -hmm. and because wherever they're at, they can change, and mm -hmm. it's a new season. And you know, I remember times where it's like, man, I don't like what I've done this last week. Mm -hmm. You know, I am not happy with with what I've done. And when you know that, um, when they tell you that. At any moment, it could be over. Mm -hmm. You really learn, like, what did I do today to really move my life forward or that would make an impact on mm -hmm. someone's life, my family, my friends? And also, if someone all of a sudden irritates you, you know, when you're thinking about that, it, you really let it go off your back. And it's, it's like water off your back. It is. And it's really, I say it's been a great way to live mm -hmm. is by knowing that it might not, it might be over soon. And, and so that you have made an impact on people's lives and, um, I just think it's a, it's a blessing, and, and I feel so blessed that I had a dad that was willing to go through what he did. He died the week. He, he kept saying, talk about dream building. He kept saying, I'm going to live. I'm going to make it to 65, and they kept saying, there's no way he can make it to 65. Well, he made it 65 in five days. No way. Yes, he did, and we laughed. He said, yep, there you go. We, you know, That was dad setting his, his goals, and he also loved. He was a practical joker, and he died April Fool's Day, so we laughed. It's like, oh, gosh, Dad, you have such a sense of humor. You even, you even got this accomplished. I'm sure he made a deal with God on that one, but uh -huh. anyway, so it, I think it is great and a blessing, but I think when you're taught something mm -hmm. and you learn to reframe it like that I think is so important to teach it mm -hmm. and what's hardest to learn is easiest to teach because you've gone through it and so I think that's one of the blessings that we can have is because we've changed and we've gone through enough failures to make an impact on someone's life through and we can cry with people and it's okay I mean yeah. you saw Bill he brought back the emotions of Are you watching calling people me a cry baby no way yeah <laughs> you shed more tears than they realize yes you're a uh, a true kind of cowboy Kansas man, and so to see you, you know, tear up as you're talking about memories from your past, it's it's moving for me. And I think it's also one of the things, Bill, that makes you such a powerful leader is that you're um, not only you a just strong man, but you also have the flip side where you allow yourself to be vulnerable, and people can uh, see your heart, and when they know that how much you care, uh, that makes you a very. There's just a lot of people who do not want to be vulnerable. They don't want to open up. They don't want to cry. They don't they're like, hey, it's, you know, somehow it will make me less of a person or whatever. And I applaud you for your uh, willingness to be vulnerable. I think it makes you a very powerful leader. I would say that that's what you just described is, has not been me most of my life. I have, um, I would say that when you have a sensitivity to the human condition, mm -hmm. Um, and you really understand that we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. You want the best for a human being. Mm -hmm. And so trying to communicate what you believe is the best to someone who does not understand what's the best 
is the game, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. And uh, the creator who walked on this earth knew the people that he created. And uh, a pastor from uh, Ravi Zachariah's team came into our church about six months ago, and he said that it's noted that Jesus asked more questions and told more parables than he did actually telling people what to do. And that's because the Creator knew how he created the human beings. And I think there's a lesson in there. When you care deeply about people, you're going to try to communicate with them at their level mm-hmm. and then bring them along as they see fit. And so that's a, that's been a hard lesson for me to learn. And I think time and challenges have forced me to learn that lesson uh, mm. more in my later years. So. Well, it's one of the things that I really appreciate about both of you. And, you know, we at the top of the, the program, we talked about your 44-year marriage, your um, 33 years in this industry. And one of the things that I can tell and others can tell within our company is that you're passionate about teaching and educating, mentoring and coaching the next generation entrepreneurs and leaders. I mean, we see that with you. You're doing that with your children. You're doing that with your grandchildren. And we, I think we're living in a time right now coming out of the COVID crisis. We've got, uh, I think, rolling bankruptcies that are hitting the United States. We're at all time, uh, within the last decade, uh, I I saw a statistic that the United States created uh, 20 million jobs in the last decade, and we lost over 30 million jobs in the course of 30 days. Uh, I think uh, some economists are saying that upwards of 40% of all the job lost uh, may not come back. And so I think we're in unprecedented times in American history where people are looking for uh, something else. They're looking for a plan A. They're looking for plan B. Uh, people are going to become entrepreneurs. And what you've learned in your entrepreneurial journey, I see you trying to teach people so you can say, hey, let's speed up your learning process so you don't have to do all the mistakes I made. You don't have to spend 40 years to, you know, to, to learn all this. Let's figure out how we can give you like an, an, an executive education as quickly as possible so you can go out and be successful. Um, so I, I appreciate you guys you guys doing that. And, and the next question I have for you, because I, I know that coaching and mentorship, since I just highlighted that, is very important to you guys. I do want to circle back around, and I want to learn from you in terms of what have you learned from your best coaches? I mean, there's got – so in, in the business world, what have you – from a mentor, coach, or someone you say, hey, this person really had an impact in my life and helped me. And then it sounds like you're also, just like me, I can be negatively motivated. Somebody who says, hey, you can't do that. You can't accomplish that. I've got a little bit of that. Um, I watched the Jordan special on ESPN, right? And he he used any type of slight, he used it as motivation to be like, I'm going to show, I'll prove you wrong. And it, it seems like you've got a little bit of that in you as well. So I'd like to learn from you. What did you learn from your best coaches, your worst coaches, and how have you used that in your entrepreneurial career? So I hate Reading. You hate reading? Yes. Okay. One of my proudest accomplishments was to get out of Texas A&M without reading much. Okay. And um, so I swore off reading. And when I got started in business and I allowed a little bit of mentoring, the books came out as, well, hey, why don't you read this or read a chapter in that? Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I think they were looking at me and finding some uh, obvious gaps mm-hmm. in where I needed to be. And so I started reading. And I still don't like reading. As a matter of fact, reading alone, in my, in my mind, has no value unless you apply. Oh, yes, sir. I absolutely agree right? with that. Yeah. And, and I've also been known to say that most of the books that you read today with the success principles in them are found in the Bible anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, they're just recreating them and putting them in, in kind of form to maybe be a little bit more understandable. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of use that to not read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would say I've, I've picked up a lot on reading okay. from them. Do you listen to audible books or audio? Yes, yes. Yes, I, I listen to audios uh, most of the time. Okay, I like watching videos, but I don't really have that many folks making recommendations to me these days. Okay, I don't know whether I, my son makes recommendations to me. Okay. You, you make recommendations to me, mm-hmm. and which is great. I, I take those recommendations, uh, but I'm looking for opportunities to grow. Well, you have a big team of folks that are looking at you to to help them accomplish their specific goals and dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, my perspective on whether or not I want to read, want to listen, want to do things, you, you that takes a back seat because that's not the top priority. The top priority is if you care about the human condition, mm-hmm. you're going to do things that make sense to help people. Yeah. So. So you so you've learned a lot from reading. Yes, I've I've learned more from failing though. Yeah. In your career, as you have seen, so maybe maybe not your personal coaches, but as you've seen people who have tried to coach, or tried to mentor, or tried to lead, you know, those are very difficult things to do. People who maybe have been well intentioned, and you watch from a distance, or maybe new entrepreneurs who are just getting started, maybe kind of. They're not there quite yet. What are some of the what are the mistakes that you see people make in those areas that you would give words of wisdom or counsel to people who are trying to be a coach, mentor, or leader for their team as they're coming on as a young entrepreneur? Like if I if I want to get better in coaching, mentoring, and leading, what would you tell me to do? Well, I'd start with uh, a task. Okay. And I would start with accountability then for that task. Task and accountability. Task and accountability and looking for the follow-through on that. Mm-hmm. If there's not that follow-through and that task-oriented, the Bible says don't throw your pearls before swine. Mm-hmm. And I think that means don't don't try to make somebody do something they're not wanting to do. So crafting things in a way that makes some sense to them as mm-hmm. it's related to their purpose. I brought out this book, QBQ, Question Behind the Question. Mm-hmm. And that really dive, it has a deep dive into learning how to communicate, not in a way to necessarily change somebody else, but to change me. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I would start there. Okay. It's, it's a big bite. Um, I see people wanting to do a lot of different things, mm-hmm. and I just bite my tongue okay. to try to coach them on too many things. You go to kids' 
basketball or softball games and you start listening to some of these coaches and they, they just tell them 10 things to do. They're doing all these things wrong and, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, why don't you please come over here and ask me what my perspective or my opinion is on how to coach that child there. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't... Simplify it, right? Exactly. Exactly. So I, I walk around this world with a lens to see how I can help somebody in, in, in an area that they can it can make a difference. So I, I have a very simple perspective on it. Maybe if it was better, I'd... No, that's good. You know, hey, keeping it simple, right? That, that's, the, that's the art and the science. How do you help somebody who wants to achieve something in life? You're trying to hold them accountable, but they're just not it, the, the gears just aren't clicking. It's just not hitting it. How how do you artfully do that to where they want to level up and continue to perform, and you don't do it in a demotivating way? How do you, how do, that accountability piece? How many coaches, uh, Bob, have you listened to yelling and screaming and and pontificating great words of wisdom, mm-hmm. ranting back and forth? And sometimes it's motivation. Some people will respond to that. Mm-hmm. Because they really need somebody to just get under their skin and go with it, and and some need more uh, more cerebral approach. Mm-hmm. The at the end of the day, if the dream is identified in such a way, I mean, I will I'll fry up some chicken poop and eat it for two years if that's what I got to do oh. to accomplish that dream. We we've got dinner here in a few minutes. I just I think you've ruined my appetite. <laughs> Well, I'd put a little bit of ketchup and, and horseradish on it, but that's that's how valuable a dream and a desire is. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. Yeah. Um, who, was, uh, who was the lady that freed all the slaves back in the day? Yeah, Harriet Tubman. She said that she could have freed more if she could have talked them into understanding that they actually were a slave. Mm-hmm. And so I... That's the angst that we all have, whether we're trying to coach somebody mm-hmm. or bring them along or educate them or whatever. Uh, we have this dogma, and this society with a lot of the social media has a tendency to just throw accusations or pontifications out there and then just run like a scared kitty cat from dialogue. Mm. So to get someone to sit down or to actually dialogue in a meaningful way, that's the that's the golden buzzer right there. Okay. So I'm looking for that okay. regardless. So if they don't do stuff, I'm still looking for that mm-hmm. that dialogue. Okay. If they don't want to dialogue, we're just going to be, be friends. Conversation because through conversation you can yes. learn more, you can have ask more questions, you can start to get to understand what their motivations are, maybe what their fears are. But it's it's what all comes back to having honest, transparent, vulnerable dialogue with somebody. That's true. To, to take it one more level, most coaches and mentors are making mistakes by trying to the, to be the end all be all for that particular person. I think a good coach or a good mentor will dish that mentee up to somebody else that has strengths in areas that that coach or mentor does not have. Right. And and so many of them have too big of an ego to do that today. They've got all the answers, right? Yeah. I think that's one of the things that we've done with our kids is we've put them in touch with mm-hmm. a lot of different folks that have spoken into their life. Right. So 
we're coming to the end of our time here, and I've got one final question. And I just want, Bill, thank you for your insights on those questions. Uh, selfishly, I was asking for my own learning for, so I can get better, but I certainly hope that folks that were are listening are taking really good notes and are using it in your entrepreneurial journey, your leadership journey as well. You know, I have had a question asked of me m- multiple times from somebody that I really respect, and I'm going to paraphrase it ever so slightly. The question a lot of times as I'm going through the various challenges will be, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And for you guys, I want to ask the question a a little bit differently maybe, was it worth it? You guys are obviously not finished. I mean, you still have a long entrepreneurial journey in front of you, but you've had, you've been on this entrepreneurial journey for quite some time. And I want to know, was it worth it? Would you have taken a different path in life? Would you have done something different? Or would you say, Bob, I've, you know, was the decision to take the entrepreneurial leap and the path that you've done in life, was it worth it? Totally, absolutely, 100%, yes. To take our family, to take our friends, to take ourselves, our marriage, and go forward. You know, we are in an industry that loves to make an impact on the whole circle of your life. Mm -hmm. Your spiritual life, if you so choose. Your marital life, if you so choose. All of these areas. And we wanted our kids around winners. Mm. Not people that had never failed. That's not a a winner is someone who's failed and kept getting up and Mm -hmm. kept getting up and kept getting up. And we wanted to to over-communicate with them as we failed and as we went down and as things were going on so that they knew that yes this is where we were but it was temporary Mm -hmm. and to go forward and and make progress and i look at the impact there is nothing on the earth to me besides my christian walk and and that but looking across the table from someone who's tired Mm. who needs hope who needs something to tell them it's gonna you know people need a little bit of hope they need to be able to dream again and dream yeah even 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 if you're like bill and i where i'm a very small dreamer i have to have okay step one let me get here then step two here step three and bill's looking at you know the golden gates at the end you know yeah he's a big big dreamer oh yeah huge so so it's okay to be both we make game plans for both of us yeah but but it's so important that we are able to we have a hold of something where you can look at someone they're tired you can look at someone that says no one's believed in them and you know you know what it's like to look at someone who's who says i have well we sh- we showed this business to a family and they they all three registered and you know what they said to us What's that? we have you got to understand something about our family we always lose Oh, and you're, I mean, and you're like, I can't wait to help oh, you guys win. Oh, I know. You can imagine what that does inside you. you know. But, but they have to be willing to make that first step, too. They can't just sign an application and expect it to be, be there. You know? mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you might have to change some habits that have got you there. But for one thing, we've had some losses on our way to this great journey. Mm-hmm. But there is nothing like knowing that I'm taking my kids and my grandkids in an industry that will make them the best them if they so choose. And to be around people, the, you know, the entrepreneur business, the, the apprentice, the businesses we have where they can come and be ambassadors at our part when and if we can ever have one back in, you know, and I love the fact that we can make an impact on people's lives. Um, Yes, have there been some challenges? Absolutely. But they've been growing challenges. It teaches you to be humble because you, uh, you've you gone through enough. It teaches you to be uh, teachable, to be, to be a, a good student, and not, and not to take advantage or to take for granted any day or anybody, but just make an impact, impact, 
on different people's lives. And boy, I tell you what, there's there's just nothing like it. Nothing. What a great answer. So, Bill, you the pressure, just the, end it? I can the, just end the, it right the, there. The, the pressure's on. Was was it worth it? I'm going to start off by saying uh, most folks, most husbands and wives are not on the same page with the dream, thus causing challenges and mm-hmm. division and separation of the family. And, and most parents of young children are pushing the children to accomplish their dream, mm-hmm. but the children then aren't looking at the parents on the same page mm-hmm. going after a dream. And so that's a very dysfunctional family from my perspective. So... I would say, number one, Jan and I got on the same page. Even though we did things that we would do different today, I would do I would do a lot of things different. I mean, it'd be goofy for me to say, no, I'd like to go back and fail in those areas again. No, what I'd really like to have is the wisdom so I didn't fail and I could have ramped it up. Yeah. And so I think Jan was probably more alluding to that. But yes, it was. it's worth it. Mm-hmm. I think everybody, given the, the opportunity to have more freedom than what they currently have, everybody would say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... What we have, what, we, what we've designed, what we do on a daily basis, and what everything that's led up to where we are today has played an integral role in the putting together of the pieces of the puzzle to make the industry, the people, the, the process that we have for freedom. And, and uh, people will apply that freedom anywhere and everywhere they want to. So the freedom is the big issue in my mind. Uh, you've talked to me on plenty of occasions, and I'm just bound and determined. I'm hammering freedom, period. And so I exist today to help men and women discover their talents so that they can actually have better family lives and, and that. So would I do it any different? I do things, a lot of things different, but I think the mission that we started mm-hmm. way back when. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's 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 going to be a mission and hopefully a legacy that way outlives us because it was important to the people that we've encountered. So wow. I, did I answer your question you did, at you all? You did, absolutely. Okay. And all your brilliance. So oh, yeah. You, you did it. Oh, good. <laughs> well, wow. What, a, what an incredible uh, time that I've been able to enjoy with you today. And I know that our listeners have uh, taken great notes. And I know Casey's been taking notes and we'll have it all in the show notes with the, the books that we've mentioned and all the various things that uh, you guys have highlighted. I just want to say thank you for taking time. I know you, as you traveled in, you probably wanted to maybe get some rest in the hotel, but you guys came over here before a real busy weekend. And th- th- this has just been absolutely brilliant. I just want to say thank you. Well, great. Thank you. And we appreciate the time as well, Bob. Thank appreciate you. all that you're doing with thank us. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of Taking the Leap podcast. I'm your host, Bob Dickey. I hope you certainly enjoyed my good friends, uh, Bill and Jan Newton from Wichita, Kansas. And if you would like to learn more about them or hear more of the teaching that Bill and Jan have been doing for entrepreneurs around the country, please uh, check out the New Way MBA, where a lot of their audios and teachings uh, are on that app. And you can download those and listen to them as you're going about your day. Uh, Until next time, this is Bob Dickey, your host of Taking the Leap podcast, and we will talk with you soon. 
Thank you for listening to the Taking the Leap podcast with your host, Bob Dickey. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at www.takingtheleappodcast.com and bonvera.rocks. You can also find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Taking the Leap.